0: Continuous performance management really is about getting value from those conversations. It's not just something we do because HR tells us to do it. It's something we do because it actually helps us work better. It helps our teams be better. It tends to be a switch from accountability to forward focus and development. It tends to have switched from being very prescriptive and narrow. Here's your four goals. This is what we're going to talk about to including those goals, but also impact and overall success in one's position, but also overall impact in the organization. The key thing is the continuous, right? It's ongoing. It's not just once or twice a year.
1: Welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast by Quantif. We talk about bringing strategy, teams, and data together to drive better business outcomes. I'm your host, Jenny Harold. In this episode of Dreams with Deadlines, we explore performance management with executive coach and organizational development consultant, Devin Brown. He's dedicated to growing and developing individual leaders and transforming teams and organizations. Here are a few of the things we talked about. Why meaningful results start with meaningful peer-to-peer conversation. The difference between and mechanics behind one-on-ones versus check-ins. How to apply OKRs and measure for individual success within a team context. We wrap things up with a signature round of quick-fire questions. Let's jump in. Our guest for today on Dreams and Deadlines is a highly respected organizational development thought leader. Known for transforming companies, leaders, and teams through innovative performance systems, he helps companies build performance systems that support OKR success, enable feedback, and drive performance through transformative peer-to-peer conversations. So welcome to the show, Devin Brown of Inciting Leaders. Great to have you here.
0: Thank you, Jenny. I'm excited to be here.
1: All right. So we have quite a bit to cover today. Let's start from the top. In some of your writing, you cite Adobe, Microsoft, Lloyd Gap, and GE as having been at the forefront of a trend away from traditional performance management to continuous performance management. Can you describe that shift?
0: Yeah. So it really started 2009, 10, into the teen years. And historically, performance management has been a HR-driven annual event. So what typically happens is sometimes either at the end of the year or the start of the year, managers, employees sit down, it's usually dictated by HR that says in the month of January, you're going to set goals for next year and everybody sits down and has these meetings and they're pretty painful deloitte did a study unfortunately don't remember the numbers but the hours were like in the millions of hours being spent i think or hundreds of thousands of hours being spent doing performance management so it's an annual event you sit down you set your goals in january and then maybe in december you sit down and have a conversation around how you did on your goals, and typically what happens is the employee gives themselves a rating on a certain number of goals, the manager does the same thing, they have a conversation, that's it. And it's problematic. It tends to be unmotivating, people are biased, so they tend to remember what happened in the last few months, not six months ago, nine months ago. And so the switch to continuous performance management has moved from annual to frequent ongoing. So it's ongoing conversations. Instead of being top-down driven by HR, the goal of it is to be employee. And I would also say manager-driven. I think about continuous performance management really is about getting value from those conversations. It's not just something we do because HR tells us to do it. It's something we do because it actually helps us work better it helps our teams be better it tends to be a switch from accountability to forward focus and development it tends to have switched from being very prescriptive and narrow here's your four goals this is what we're going to talk about to including goals those goals but also impact and overall success in one's position but also overall impact in the organization The key thing, I think, in that is the continuous, right? It's ongoing. It's not just once or twice a year, but it's frequent conversations, whether it's quarterly, monthly, or more often.
1: So maybe we can talk about that because on the show, we talk a lot about OKRs. There's this sibling to the OKRs, which a lot of people probably know about if they've read John Doerr's book, Measure What Matters, and he talks about... CFRs, what are your thoughts on conversation, feedback, and recognition? Because that's what it sounds like you're talking about, or are you talking about something slightly different?
0: No, that's exactly what I'm talking about. John Doerr actually writes, and I was thinking about this, when combined OKRs and CFRs become continuous performance management. To me, CFRs are the essence, it's the tools of what good leaders do. Good leaders have conversations, good leaders do feedback, good leaders give recognition. It's not surprising that is a sister or partner to OKRs. John Doerr talks about it as by having ongoing conversations, by giving feedback, by giving recognition in support of successful OKRs and organizations. Guess what? That's great leadership, right? Which is core to what happened in performance management.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about that in terms of poor leadership. You've mentioned before, and I thought... It might incite violence out there, I don't know. That performance management in its previous form is a cover up for poor leadership. That's what you've said before. Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to be a little bit more inciting and say not so much in its previous form, but actually in its current form of continuous performance management. In its previous form, performance management said, hey, as a manager, once a year, sit down with your employee and figure out goals and once a year, maybe twice a year, evaluate those goals and use those two conversations to drive that person's pay. No one said that was good leadership, right? In today's world of continuous performance management, we have these HR systems that are driving how often we have conversations or dictating that we should have a certain number of conversations a year. So let's think about it. Continuous performance management is built around an idea of ongoing conversations. So as a manager, we're talking about goals. We don't just set goals in January and forget them for the year. We should probably be checking in and seeing how you're doing towards your goals. And if you knocked them out of the park early on, maybe we set other goals. Or if the environment, the world changed, take the year of COVID, right? Goals got thrown away. And smart managers, smart companies realized we needed to engage employees. So we had to revise our goals. So it's revising goals, adjusting goals, modifying them. It's giving ongoing feedback. It's developing people. I mean, those are the things that conversations of performance management include. What do those sound like? Those to me sound like great leadership. If you think about it, think about the best leader you've ever had. And if you've never actually had a great leader, think about the ideal great leader, probably one of the things that they all have in common is you talk to them regularly. And it's not just the, hey, Johnny, how's it going? Hey, Sarah, how's it going? But you have meaningful conversations about your goals, about your development, both current development, but also long-term development for careers. What do I want to be when I grow up? Would I like to be in your job someday? Would I like to be in a different job someday? They're giving feedback and feedback is probably not just one way, but both ways. And you're probably having conversations occasionally around, how's the family? How's the kids? How's the dog? How was your vacation? How was whatever? That to me sounds like great management, which is what we're often trying to do with continuous performance management systems.
1: So maybe we can venture in this direction and everyone has a point of view here. There are differences between leaders and managers. Do we agree?
0: Absolutely.
1: Because I noticed that you're using the language leader and manager somewhat interchangeably. And I don't want people to get the wrong idea that you conflate the two because I don't believe you do. Some leaders are great managers. Not all managers are leaders, right? And some people believe that anybody honestly can be a leader in the organization and it doesn't have to hold a title or a particular rank. When you talk about leaders and managers, let's talk about the differences.
0: Yeah. Maybe it's like Kleenex and tissues. They're one and the same, and yet one is a brand. As we think about leaders and managers, I'm a little bit being lazy here. And I do see a clear distinction between leaders and managers, and it's easy to conflate and call them the same thing. Typically, the view is that manager is a title. I'm a manager because you and three other people report to me. So I'm a manager. Whether I'm a great leader or not is a separate thing. I can be a great leader and not have a management title. For those of you who have kids, right? Do you see among your kids, kids who show up as leaders? There are ones who take that kind of initiative, step to the front, are very charismatic. Not that you have to be charismatic to be a leader. And so what is the difference? We could spend all day debating that. Generally, management tends to be around process, around systems, assigning work, assigning tasks, signing off on annual leave or expense reports. It's that kind of tactical, managerial things where to me, leadership is about vision, it's about getting buy in, getting engagement, it's about coaching and developing, about growing in organizations and you saw it myself, it's easy to use them as interchangeably. I've taught a lot of leadership classes. I spent 20 years teaching a variety of leadership classes, and often an exercise we do is to have classes distinguish between leadership and management. And on the one hand, I think it's a good thing to do because it forces people to see them not as different. And yet we could say a good leader or good manager needs to be able to have skills from both of those areas. I almost wish we had another word that we could use. It's the people that may have direct reports and inspire and grow and do all Those things, but they're also have to sign off on time cards and do certain documenting things and and sign off on paychecks or on expense reports, which is the management things.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so we've talked about the differences of leaders versus managers. Just I think I track with you there. Leaders are creating change whereas managers may be responsive or react to them leaders are very people focused whereas managers tend to be very maybe process focused or at least historically they seem to be leaders are seeking feedback managers try to minimize weakness or areas that they need to improve upon these kinds of things so let's talk about this tension most times when you have a manager is working with a direct report like you said You want to be able to set goals with them because you want them to be able to know what the expectations are and how they're going to produce work that contributes overall to the business strategy, right? Now, there's a lot of contention out there about using OKRs in performance management. Purists suggest that there's a just-say-no approach. Then you have pragmatists that suggest we should cascade organizational or team OKRs to the individual level, include that OKR achievement as part of the performance evaluation. What's your take on that?
0: That's a great question. I think that's really why we're here today. If I had to say, I'm probably more of a pragmatist, but I'm a pragmatist that values the heritage of OKRs of the purest. And so what I mean by that is, let me give you a little background. So I come to OKRs not as a OKR expert. I spent my life, my career in organizational development leadership development. I spent quite a few years focusing on performance management. Along the way, I stumbled in OKRs. In recent years, I've partnered with uh, Daniel Montgomery with Agile Strategies, an OKR company, and have certainly increased my knowledge and understanding of OKRs through that. And so with that said, as I look about and think about the use of OKRs in organizations, whether you're setting organizational goals or team goals, intuitively, it makes sense to me that why can't we cascade that down to the individual level? If we're trying to get a team to do something with okrs there's individual players on a team they're the ones that are doing the work the team doesn't magically do the work right it's people that do the work so why not have okrs at the individual level and yet here's the big caveat that the resistance to that is because there's some critical things in OKRs and the heritage of OKRs like stretch, like ongoing conversations, like team focused, which I think some of the pragmatists and I would say some of the software companies out there don't necessarily take into account. There's this cascading where mechanically we can cascade it down so we can take our OKRs at the organization or team level, cascade them down to the individual level, But as an organization, from a leadership standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, are you still thinking about stretch? Are you still having the ongoing conversations? Are you still looking at the team element, which are so core to me, to OKRs, right? OKRs aren't just purely a mechanical tool, though some will use it that way. They also have this cultural heritage.
1: So you're a pragmatist.
0: With a caveat.
1: With a caveat. Okay. How does this play in, because we've been talking about employee performance evaluations, continuous performance management, how do OKRs play together with those structures? Because those management structures exist in a lot of the organizations that decide that they're going to adopt OKRs. Is there an intersection that you recommend? What have you seen based on experiences that you might have had with clients when they approach you and say, well, we have these management frameworks. What are we supposed to do with them?
0: Yeah. The easy way to do that is to take the OKR structure, objectives and key results, just hand that down to employees, either cascading team goals down to them, taking a team goal and the two of us are on a team, the three of us, five of us, each figuring out what, our individual, what are the individual things that we can do to support the team goal. And having objectives and key results. There's an, what I might call a more organic approach, which is look, you and I may have some goals that are really important. They may not actually tie back to a team or an organizational goal, but it could still be important. And so maybe we develop a goal around that. But where I would suggest caution is using OKRs at the individual level for the sort of business as usual non-transformational, non-stretch type situations. I think for things like that, for compliance, for just doing my job, doing the regular things I do, look, we got KPIs, it's a great way of measuring that. I'm not sure it makes sense to use OKRs. And so this is where I lean to the purest side, which is, OKRs were really developed as a way for those moonshots, those transformational things. And so to me, those are a great tool to use at the individual level when it's being used for those big changes. Not just business as usual, not just improving by 10%, but we want to make a radical change. We want to make a transformational change. And at an individual level, I may need to do some things fundamentally different
1: so there's a lot of organizations out there that say we're not going to do individual level okrs we are not going to cascade it to that degree of specificity because they're using okrs for greater team performance and organizational alignment as a whole if they were to abstract that to the individual level they believe that it is just way too much work or overhead than the value that you're going to extract by doing that cascading that said, if you're in that kind of environment and you have, let's just put it out there, you have team level OKRs, you've established organizationally, that's what you're gonna do, but you still have these performance management structures, how, if at all, do you connect those concepts together? Because that is a case that exists and we talked to a lot of clients of ours that struggle with this very idea. What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, one of the questions is, and you forget OKRs for a moment, It certainly is a trend that I think we're going to see more and more in the next few years, is the move in performance management to measuring the team rather than the individual. Exactly. So I think that, again, forgetting OKRs for a moment, let me just answer the one part of that question is, one of the big moves in performance management is the measures are team measures, not individual measures. We may have individual measures like how we show up and engage the how of what we do, right? It's am I open-minded? Am I supportive? Am I do I coach people? Do I come across as an ass at work, right? Or am I a good team player, right? Those kind of things. Those are things that we are individual and we could measure and I see the future of performance management. In many cases, that's where the individual performance management is around those individual things that we do, how we engage, how we work together, and the goals that we traditionally think are team goals and those being at the team level, not at the individual level. And I think we all agree that it's not contentious to think about OKRs at the team level. I do think we can cascade OKRs down to the individual level or have individual level OKRs. I think as we do that, it's important to think about stretch, just think about transformational. That's, a to me, a great way of using OKRs when you're having at the individual level people doing transformational things, very different things, big changes, big growth, innovation. That's a great place to use OKRs. And I would say, that we see a trend moving towards team performance management where I think OKRs fit very well.
1: Why do you think that trend is happening? I have my suspicions as to why we're moving from focus on individual performance to team level performance. This kind of will rock, I think, a lot of our foundational ideas about how to provide opportunities or compensation, incentives, for example, to the individual level. Because there is that movement or that shift, I see it too. Why do you think that's happening?
0: I think our world and the work we're doing is getting increasingly complex. you think of how does work get done? I do a lot of work with financial services, do a lot of work with small community banks lending money. And it's not just one person or one team that you have a customer comes in and they maybe speak to a loan officer. Well, it's not just the loan officer's job to get that loan approved. You need underwriting, you need a credit servicing team, you need processing, you need legal, you need sales and marketing that even bring people in the door. So there is work that one individual person does, but typically things we're trying to achieve in our organizations require not just one person, but a team. And often we you could use the phrase, the team of teams.
1: Okay. So it's really the complexity of our work. And it sounds like the interrelatedness of our work that's really providing that shift from the focus on the individual versus a focus on how the team will perform altogether. Exactly. Okay. so. Knowing now that you believe OKRs and individual performance management can coexist to the extent where you said, so long as it's transformational in nature, so long as we have some sort of stretch element, totally copacetic, if you decide that you're going to cascade that down to the individual level. You had mentioned that you need to create a culture of quality, ongoing conversations being paramount in this. You've described one-on-ones versus check-ins before. Can you provide a description for both for folks who may not be familiar? Because I think I've heard people talk about these things, again, kind of synonymously. But you have a point of view here.
0: I'll be honest. The naming of this is a little bit arbitrary, but I've done this because we need to be able to talk about it. I've adopted the idea of check-ins. Adobe was one of the early companies that introduced this idea of check-ins. And to me, check-ins are these ongoing conversations we have around performance, around development, around expectations, around well-being, feedback, things like that. I distinguish those from what often I hear clients talk about are one-on-ones. And the one-on-ones tend to be more task-oriented. They're more operational. They're more tactical. The one-on-ones, like check-ins could happen at a variety of times some managers have one-on-ones weekly some have them every other week some have them further apart these tend to be very solution oriented boss i have a problem we're trying to fix this or we're having this issue with this presentation we're doing they're very kind of work oriented and they're very tactical and very operational. And those are very important. And at no point want to suggest that we don't do those. Those are absolutely critical. And in fact, I've coached for 15, 20 years. One of the things that many managers do is don't do enough of those. And so employees feel they're sort of on their own to get the work done and don't have the support of the manager. So. Not trying to take away from the value of the one-on-one to me, the check-in is a bigger picture. It's a little more strategic. It's stepping up out of the weeds, stepping up of the day-to-day problem solving. And I've framed it really around four types of conversations. And it's not that these conversations need to happen at every check-in. Absolutely not, but they need to happen over a period of time. And so I see those as the kind of goal setting or expectation setting conversation. That's a conversation around setting goals or setting expectations, but also how you're doing on those and how you're moving along with those and what kind of support and changes need to be done to continue to be successful. So that's one conversation. There's a development conversation. To me, this is both sort of short-term development, but also it could be long-term development, career development. There's the feedback conversation which is feedback. And I guess the caveat I would say is I think the worst thing a manager can do is say, oh, Jenny and I are having our check-in in in three weeks, so I'm not going to give her feedback till that check-in. Whereas if I need to give you feedback, we should have that conversation. So I don't think that should take the place of kind of that impromptu feedback as needed. But if there's feedback, both positive positive, and critical right so this isn't just negative feedback it is a formal time or is a time that we know that we're going to be together when we can have that conversation and then the fourth conversation to me is around well being And Adobe actually, they're the first place I saw this idea of goals, feedback development, framed as the check-in conversation. Over the years, I and other folks I've worked with have added this idea of well-being and that really came out of COVID. And when we saw the importance of humanizing that we saw of workplace during COVID in particular, the need to have conversations about how people are doing. And that's the well-being conversation.
1: You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantive. Quantive is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantive helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. Besides the fact that it was a difficult time, there's a lot of headlines out there about Burnout. And so clearly, as managers, as leaders, people who are responsible for the delivery of the work, people who are responsible for the people that are under their charge, so to speak, why does the well-being conversation need to be added to what you're describing as the check-in?
0: I think what you just said is the first and maybe the absolutely most important reason. We don't work with a bunch of computers, right? People aren't just these sort of machines in a Tayloristic kind of way, right? People are people and they have emotions, they have feelings. And I think most of us agree that it's impossible to separate our personal life away from our work life, right? Those are intermingled, particularly as people are working more remotely, more hybrid. It's hard to avoid that. And so I think that taking into account that it sounds silly, but people, are people, right? And they have emotions, they have feelings, they have stress, the things that are going on in their lives matter. At no level am I trying to suggest that we should overstep some kind of HR or legal boundaries that if I'm your boss, in no way are you expected to share your deepest personal emotional things with me. And yet, I think being available to have conversations around how's the family, how are your kids? How was your vacation? How are you doing? I heard your mom was sick. How's she doing? Having that human side, I think matters where I think about it is we often do these employee satisfaction or employee engagement surveys and In the same way that we say, when you do your performance reviews, if it's more traditionally at the end of the year, if you're doing them right, nothing should be a surprise, right? And we hear that over and over again, that if I'm doing it right, we've had ongoing conversations. If I'm going to say, look, you are stellar like this and you got some improvement to do here, that shouldn't be new. In the same way, I think that when we do engagement surveys and satisfaction surveys, the essence that we're getting from that probably shouldn't be new. If I'm engaged with my team and interacting with my team and having those well-being type conversations, it shouldn't be a surprise to me if my employees are absolutely engaged and ecstatic with their job or maybe a little disgruntled and frustrated, right? That if I'm having conversations that have some room for the well-being component, that shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, Let me give you an example. I was coaching a senior leader. I think he was probably at VP level at an engineering firm. And he had received some feedback on his 360 that he was low in relationship building and building connection with people. And I asked him a question that was essentially, how often on Monday morning do you go around and ask people how their weekend was? And he looked at me like I just asked him how often he kicks his dog. He was like blank. He was like, What are you talking, like, I've never, am I supposed to do that? So for lots of people, this human well-being thing, that's just part of how we interact, but there's a lot of people also who don't see that separate work from personal, right? And really pull those apart. And so for him, his coaching, one of the things he worked on is every Monday morning, he would, instead of walking right to his office and shutting the door, he would go and make the rounds of the office and check in and ask people, how was their weekend? And that was transformational for him. He never occurred to him to do that. And what he found by doing that is by asking people how their weekend was. And then as he started to do that, he learned more about them. Oh, Susie has kids that play baseball. Susie's kids are playing baseball this weekend. So on Monday, hey, how did the game go? And it allowed him to build relationships and connection with people and get to know people at a little bit more human level. Is he infringing on sort of HR violations? No, right, this isn't being inappropriate, but it's connecting with people at a human level, which I think allows managers to better understand, better predict, and better see where their employees are and pick up when their employees are potentially disgruntled, right? We all know the same: people leave managers, not companies. Part of that is because many managers have historically been pretty disconnected.
1: We're gonna take a short break. You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantive. Quantive is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantive helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. It sounds like what you're talking about and I don't remember who said this is this idea that we need to develop two kinds of currency, one is performance currency, this is the currency that we're talking about in terms of expectation setting development feedback conversations. It really is centered around the work, which I guess in your definition set would really be around the one on ones, even though I'm using check in language for you, but the other is relational currency the ability to connect with the people that we're working with now we're not doing this because we want to all hold hands and sing kumbaya i don't think that's what you're trying to suggest here but really it's about how do we connect with the people that we work with so that we can know how we're going to increase levels of motivation you have a motivated team it is likely that they're going to be much more productive And in that much more productive, they're going to develop value. And doing that kind of work, hopefully, will result in the net benefit for the business, which is we're retaining more customers. We're closing more deals. We're making more money. But it all stems from this idea that we're not only solely focused on performance currency, we're also thinking about relational currency. I think that's what you're saying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And these things happen simultaneously that as a leader, as a manager, I have one hat on, and it's a very big hat, which is organizational performance. And unabashedly, will say, look, if I have a relationship and a connection with people, we can probably get more out of people, right? And that's a sort of relational currency. And there's the human side of it, right? Look, we spend most of our most alert and awake time at work. There's a reason that one of the Q12 questions on the Gallup engagement survey is, do you have a best friend at work? It's because it's a belief that relationships matter. And I don't necessarily think you need to have a best friend at work, but do you have friends at work? Like, that's a whole nother conversation, but Gallup asks simply 12 questions in engagement. One of them is, do you have a best friend at work? Right? That's some indication that having relationships matter.
1: Interesting. Okay. So we've talked about creating a culture of quality and ongoing conversations being key to that. Let's talk about driving what matters. So we've discussed individual participation in OKRs play a role in the performance evaluation to some degree. This is how I've seen it done before, just talking with other HR leaders out there. There are two, well, maybe three camps. The first camp is we do team OKRs. So, in order to link somebody's performance evaluation to this OKR concept, what we'll do is talk about how they showed up. Were they supportive of the team and achievement of that OKR? To what degree was that? Were they a blocker in any way? That sort of thing. So it really was behavioral focused. Like that's one way to look at it. The second was actual delivery focused. You reached your objective or you didn't to some degree, and that was some percentage of an overall makeup of criteria that goes into someone's performance evaluation. And then there's like the third camp, which is kind of a hybrid approach where it's like, how did you show up and what did you actually accomplish? And that combination was also included as a part of someone's performance evaluation to discuss. So it didn't make up the full 100% of how someone is gonna be evaluated at the end of a period for compensation purposes. It really was an input into that kind of equation, so to speak. What have you seen out there? A similar thing to be just a little bit more concrete. What works and what doesn't, in your opinion?
0: Jenny, my immediate reaction is yes, all of those can work. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with any one of those three perspectives or approaches. And I would agree completely that those are generally how it's done. I think there's some nuances there. So the pure delivery, one of the problems with, I would argue, performance management, whether you're using OKRs or anything else, is we need to be measuring. And in the paper that I wrote that I think you're referring to, we talk about drive matters. We also talk about balancing stretch and agency. I think the piece that we got to make sure is that there is agency. So if we're measuring somebody on deliverables, we got to make sure that you actually have the ability, the agency, the control to deliver on that. Where we often see that and that makes a lot of sense is with salespeople. Yes, there are a lot of things that are outside salespeople's control, but this is a job that is often very commission-based, and so it makes absolute sense, right? Your job is to sell X number of widgets, go out and sell those widgets, and good salespeople are pretty good at figuring out how to do that, even when the market conditions get bad, even when things happen, they're creative, they figure it out, right? So salespeople, often executives, are tied to organizational performance, and so I think those are places where that approach makes a lot of sense for other people who are not those kind of positions right where deliverables are less measurable i think that's where the these sort of hybrid methods make sense that's i think where it's helpful to tie it at the team level to go back to your previous question often i was thinking about this actually before this call i'm working with a client right now and i'm working with the Director of OD, I think that's her title, I'm sorry, Organizational Development, and she's responsible for the employee engagement survey. That fits with her. They currently are doing an engagement survey every year or 18 months, and they have something like 70% response rate, which is pretty low.
1: Oh, what is expected?
0: It really varies, but their goal is to have like 90 plus percent. Wow, okay. This is really an interesting one, and I don't have a simple solution for this, but to say to her, the goal for you should be 90% or above or 100%, whatever that is, engagement response, that's putting a lot of pressure on one person who I'm not sure could impact that she could certainly do things that drive belief that participating in the engagement survey is helpful. She could think about the time that when in the year they're doing it, do it at a time when people aren't as busy. Could they change engagement survey? So instead of having 80 questions, maybe it's the Q12 Gallup, 12 question one, make it easier, make it faster. There are things she could do like that. But if the decision to act on the engagement survey is a senior leadership team thing that she may not have a lot of involvement with and historically nothing has been done with engagement surveys. And so employees are disgruntled because they feel like we spend all this time, people ask all these questions, we do focus groups and then we never see anything really happening. She may not have a lot of control over that. And so I think that's where we have to be careful in what we're measuring, because we want to be measuring things that people do have control over.
1: Else you're putting them in a situation where they do not have control over necessarily the outcomes they can potentially achieve, and yet we're linking pay-for-performance type incentives to that individual, which would probably be pretty demoralizing, I can imagine. Yeah.
0: Right. Absolutely. The other thing I want to say, you talked about having team OKRs and then what we're measured on is the how and that distinction around the what and the how is really critical. Typically, when I help organizations with performance management, I don't come to them and say, here's the model that you should use, use it. What I do is tend to work with them, help them understand what they're really trying to achieve and then help them develop a model that works for them. With that said, I really like the what and how distinction, whether it's doing it at the individual level or doing the what at the team level, as you suggested in sort of example number one, and then the how at the individual level, I really like. And the reason I like that is because it solves for a couple of issues. One, I think it was probably my first professional job after graduate school. I was hired as the director of leadership development at a consulting firm, became the VP of leadership development. We would have our performance system and our compensation was basically incredibly complex. And so it started half of it was on me and half was the organization. So my compensation bonus was based 50% on did the organization achieve its results. And so if this bonus was like, I don't even remember what it was 10 or 15% half of that in some ways I had no direct control over it because it was organizational. So then we got to my team, the work that I did was split 5050 half of it was around financial results and half around round was behavior results. And then behavioral ones were, there's some organizational values, like five of those. So it was how well did I do each of those? And then I had some own personal goals that I was working on. If you actually did all the math on it, showing up with integrity or communicating well might be worth like 2% or 3%. But I could be a complete jerk and it really wouldn't have any impact on how much I got as a bonus, right? And so, so many performance systems are so complex that You're being measured on so many things, you don't even know where to focus. So most people just show up, do the best they can, and try to pay attention to the things that have the most value. And so I like the what and the how, because it is, and whether that is the individual what, when it makes sense, we can really measure that, or the team. What are we trying to achieve as a team? I like that. And then I also like having that how piece because the how piece is how I show up. As you said, am I collaborative or am I a barrier? Do I tend to be supportive or do I tend to push people down? Do I coach and develop people or do I ignore people, right? These are those things that are absolutely critical of leaders, but also of individual contributors that I think we can evaluate and I think are really important.
1: Yeah, I think what you're describing here is to really be focused on what it is exactly that we're trying to incentivize. I think a lot of people know this intuitively, and it's been written about a lot in books. You can have one individual contributor or employee in a mix, and they can reduce the productivity of the people around them pretty severely, right? Toxicity is a thing. And without incentivizing for right behaviors, we would like to believe that everyone is going to be respectful and treat each other with dignity at work, but that's not necessarily a guarantee, unfortunately. So we have to have some sort of safeguards, I think, in place so that we can measure, or maintain some semblance of a healthy culture, which ultimately I think all of the research suggests will produce better outcomes for the team's ability to deliver as and then collaboratively all of that together Means that the business is going to be able to hopefully be successful, right? We're doing it together and we see that.
0: Cool. You're absolutely right on that. Let me just one add thing about I think the other piece that we're trying to capture there is the top, top, top performer that does out of the park amazing results and leaves a train wreck behind him or her. Right. And I think we've all worked with those people and seen these people that they are just stellar performers. They hit those numbers but they make everybody else's lives miserable. They may even be, and sometimes these people aren't very nice people and they're kind of jerks and they make people miserable around them because of their personality. Other times, they might be perfectly nice people, but they're not organized, they're not detailed. I've worked with, in consulting firms, salespeople that are just like the top salespeople. They go off and they sell a project and they hand it over to the consultants and you're a consultant, you're looking at what the hell am I dealing with? We don't do this, this isn't what we do. Or I worked at one firm where somebody would, sell this content. And um, this was an organizational challenge to sell content and be like, Hey, Devin, can you fly to Des Moines and deliver this leadership program XYZ? And I would look at it. And in some catalog, we had this program, we hadn't delivered this program in 10 years. In fact, somebody only delayed delivered it once. And now instead of delivering a two day program, I'm delivering a two day program, but I'm spending three or four days designing it, which we didn't get paid for. Well, the salesperson hit their numbers right they sold their 30 thousand dollar deal or people that are horribly organized and so get deals done but it's always this last minute crisis and their support team are working late at night trying to catch up and trying to get things done because they're not necessarily organized and they hit the results they have amazing results but again at least that sort of train wreck behind them and that's why that how piece is so critical
1: I think that's a really important note, especially for folks who are working with OKRs, because and this is where I would suggest the confidence levels, for example, might play in where we can get more signals to be able to feed into this kind of performance evaluation machine, as it were. For example, if you did end up, let's say, hitting your number, whatever that might have been but then, I don't know, a key person on your team quit because they were burnt out as a result of having hit that number. Did you really succeed? That's the question you have to ask yourself because now we have a key member of that team who has left the organization, has left a gap in the skill set of that team that you need to possibly recover for, and then you have to open a requisite and you've created all of this work effectively for all of these other people to backfill, but you hit your number. So I think for sure, the what and the how, totally important. So let's talk about the future of management, right? We've talked about the past where we had this antiquated, although some organizations still do it, once a year, let's set some goals. We'll check in with you next year. Somebody has to write up some stuff. Maybe they remember the last three months worth of things. The manager vaguely has a notion. They come together, they stack rank you, and then they give you some sort of compensation as a result. You're saying the current state of things is really about continuous performance management, of which there's two attributes to that. You've got this check-ins thing, which is more people-centric, and then you have the one-on-ones, which is really work, tactical, effort-centric. What's the future look like for performance management?
0: That's a great question. I have two things to say about that. One, what's really fascinating right now is if you do a Google search for kind of future performance management or cutting edge companies, performance management, leading performance management companies, what often gets cited, and I did this, I've done this a lot in the last six, nine months because I've been really curious about this. It always goes back to Adobe, Microsoft, GE, Accenture, Kelly Printing. There's like a handful in the 2009 to 2016 that did a lot of really amazing stuff. They got a lot of press. David Rock with the Neuroleadership Institute really leaned into that, was talking about that and the idea of getting rid of your ratings and there was a big move for that, but you don't see a lot of new companies coming out doing really fundamentally new things. This is the lead into where I think the real change, as I mentioned earlier, a move towards team measurement away from individual to team. What I've seen is a lot of companies are getting the architecture right. They're figuring out we can't just meet once a year. So they're creating these nice systems. We have four check-ins a year. They're documented or undocumented. People do different things. They have the structure, like on paper, it looks good. We meet multiple times a year. We have ongoing conversations. We have frequent conversations. We have systems that allow us to give feedback both anonymously and named. And lots of software systems allow us to do feedback. We can pull information or when we go to roll it up year. we can do these quick polls where we can get feedback from not just the manager on Jenny, but you know the people you work with. So we have all these great systems and they look great, but I think what we're missing is the leadership side of it. If I could change the world and how we did this, I think the thing we need to invest in is leadership. We need to be creating organizational systems that really support and reinforce great leadership. And I would say it's not just at the leader level, but it's at all levels. That ability for you and I to sit down, if you're my boss, and have really good conversations. And that may mean you giving me some hard feedback. It may be me giving you some hard feedback, right? It may be me telling you that, boy, I don't feel like we meet enough. I had the client saying this, you know, yeah, I have these check-ins with my manager. He's Most of the time he's driving to visit a client, he's distracted. And so that ability to have great conversations, which we've talked about is so much at the core of leadership. That's where I think the opportunity for companies to really evolve their performance management lies. It's not in the systems. We got that. And there's lots of great tools and systems out there. We could spend a whole conversation exploring that and probably have some things to say about that. But I think the real opportunity is around leadership and that ability to engage in great performance conversations at both the manager, leader, and individual level. I worked for a consulting firm where we did performance management and we would do these six plus month engagements with clients, helping them build these new performance management systems. Then at the very end, it would be like, okay, now let's talk about enablement, roll out some trainings on how to do this, how to have great conversations, which is great, but it's a little bit backwards. Like you've implemented this system. And now you think about training. I almost think the way to do that is, if I had my ideal way to work with a client is, let's spend six months developing these skills and leaders, developing these skills, employees, to have these kind of conversations. Once we do that pretty quickly, let's put together a structure that works, a tool that works, get a software system that works, but that's the backup to the great conversations as opposed to invest all this time in this complicated system, which may be a great system. And as almost an afterthought, oh yeah, let's develop people to have these conversations.
1: I think that's a really interesting approach where you're talking about in the same way I think product people out there talk about customer centricity. Let's put the customer in the center. And then we will think about what it is that we're going to build because we understand their problems, where there are opportunities. In the same way, it sounds like you're saying if we put leaders in the center, the investment in people, then we can build the systems around that employee people centricity, that leader centricity, right?
0: And the last thing you want to do is build a performance system with or without OKRs that is directed by the software. I worked with a client, this was a large gaming company that we've all heard of, who wanted to go back and look at goals and allow managers and employees to redo their goals partway through the year. And they knew they needed to have that as part of their performance system, but their tool, their software they use would not allow them to do that. They would set goals in January, and they reviewed them in December, because if they reviewed them partway through, there's no way they could change the goals mid-year. The last thing we want is our software systems to drive how we do performance.
1: Yeah, yeah, software's driving decisions. That's probably the opposite of what should happen. Cool. We're going to go into some quick fire questions, if you're cool with that. Yeah. All right. So first, and it sounds like you've answered it, what is your dream with a deadline? That's the name of the show.
0: My dream with a deadline, I was thinking about that question. I'm a small company, inciting leaders is me. And my dream with a deadline is to impact a thousand leaders in 2023. I'm excited about touching those people. And the reason I do this work is, is not necessarily because of the leaders I touch, but the impact and the ripple down effect that has on everybody. So we all go to work. We work with bosses. I believe that if we go to work and we work with great bosses, we all come home and are better husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriends, parents, community members, all of that. And so I feel like if I can help a thousand people be better leaders, it is a huge ripple down effect. And guess what? It also helps companies be successful.
1: What is the number one thing that you think, as you're talking about helping leaders out there to up-level, what is the number one thing that they should focus on?
0: Yeah, I love that question. So I think we all know that there's no silver bullet in leadership, right? There's no one thing that, boy, if you just do this, you'll be an amazing leader. And I would say the closest thing we get is, and we've teed up to this, frequent ongoing conversations, it's the check-in. It's those kind of conversations that or the leader is present. And I've done quite a bit of research over the years, been involved in a variety of surveys. And over and over again, what we see is employees want far more performance, development, coaching, feedback, goal conversations than they're getting.
1: All right. So for the folks that are working with OKRs out there, and you're getting really involved in this sort of work now... What advice would you give for people who are checking out this journey or maybe have failed and are starting over again?
0: My advice is that on the surface, and partly this comes from my own ignorance and my own journey, is it's easy to get excited by OKRs as purely a structure objectives, key results, it's great. And it's a really wonderful tool just for using that, that ability to bridge that gap between aspirational, inspirational, and what we're actually gonna do to achieve that. It's terrific for that. And yet my advice would be to not lose track of the heritage or the kind of more subtle cultural side of OKRs around stretch, around transformation, around ongoing conversations. That's right, the beauty of OKRs. It's more than just that, the team element. And so I think we see this and the work I do with OKR consulting firms, we see this over and over again, is the failure is often not in well-written OKRs. It's that you write OKRs, but if you don't have regular meetings about them, they're not going to work, right? You can't just set OKRs and then forget them for a year, that it should be stretched, that there should be a team element. There's a leadership piece to it. There's a cultural piece to it.
1: So it should become a part of the fabric. That makes sense. So last question, and we're gonna let you go. What book would you say kind of shaped the way you think about leadership, performance management, all the things that we talked about today?
0: Wow, that's a good question. I'm, I'm looking on my bookshelf here. I may say, oh boy, that's. Two. I can I kind of give you two? I have two books. One is The Leadership Pipeline older book. It's a terrific book about how we develop and grow leaders and about how the job of leaders changes as they move from individual contributor to manager of managers or leader of managers, leaders of leaders. They move up their journey. I think it's a brilliant book about that transition and how we need to rethink at every level. The other book that I think is incredibly helpful, and I heard the author speak multiple times and have actually joked with him that I probably should get some royalties because I've sold a lot of his books. It's called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay-Stanier. And it really gets at how do we have these conversations? How do we have coaching conversations? Which really is a big part of what we're talking about.
1: Love that. Thank you much, so much for sharing. And thanks so much for being on the show, Devin. It's been a pleasure having you. I learned a lot.
0: Great. Thank you, Jenny. It'll be great talking with you.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, then we invite you to join the Dreams with Deadlines community. Dreams with Deadlines is a global network of ambitious business leaders and innovators who are passionate about using OKRs and agile practices to build high-performing cultures, achieve bold goals, and influence our world for the better. Learn more and join us at dwd.community. That's it for this episode. Dreams with Deadlines is produced by Quantive. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website, quantive.com resources podcasts. If you have a specific question, email us at quantive.com and your question might be answered on the show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.